I'm Carol Joy Side, and welcome to the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. You're listening to episode 46. This is a podcast to help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Well, today's podcast I'm calling Irresistible Innocence, and I'm wanting to introduce you to one of the dearest children's authors of all time. Her name was Marguerite D'Angeli. Don't you love that name, Marguerite? Being named after flowers is such a great idea, and I love her name. Uh, She was born Marguerite Lofts, and she was actually born in Lapeer, Michigan, when Michigan was still a pioneer state. And she had a wonderful childhood. Her grandfather was the local... um, not silversmith what do you like he shooed horses (laughs) he was a smith and um when her family came from england they had been very famous in britain for making large anchors for um all the big ships that sailed from england so her grandfather was a blacksmith her uh family lived, you know, close by with with, uh, her relatives, and she had these wonderful memories of family gatherings, and her grandfather would tell all about their family history back in Britain. And she always had a desire to draw and paint, and you know, they always ask, what's your first memory? And Marguerite D'Angeli's first memory was of when she was before she was two actually she experimented she was in a room and she saw these beautiful colored things she didn't know what they were called and she saw a portrait that her father was sketching her dad would do pastel portraits of photographs that he would take and that's how he made a living and she knew uh, that there was this portrait there that her dad was doing she was just a toddler but she picked up these beautiful colored things and she did a border all the way around the photograph but she knew she better not touch the portrait and so even before she knew the word pastel or drawing or art she was already in the world of of creative things Um, her parents were just precious they were they were strict But she was really treasured as a little girl. And she used to look at her dad's art books. He had beautiful, large art books, um, illustrations by Gustave Doré, who was most famous for his illustrations of the Old Testament. He also illustrated Dante's Inferno. And he had a bound collection of magazine of art. And she would study this. She would lay on her tummy in her dad's studio and she would just look at these pictures over and over and how the books that are in our home really shape our children's destiny and their perception. When she was um, 12 years old, her family moved to the Philadelphia area. She lived in Germantown and different places all around Philadelphia. And uh, she added music formal music training to her repertoire at that time and she actually dropped out of high school after one year to pursue becoming a professional opera singer and she worked as a professional singer for more than 15 years and she met a man who was also a musician named Di or Daly D'Angeli 
they, his nickname was Dai, D-A-I, and he was a violin player. And she wrote a story about him called Fiddle Strings after they were married. And they moved to Canada and started having children, and he was selling recordings for RCA. So people would buy these big, heavy records, long-playing records, and he would sell them to people who were buying phonographs. And he was very successful. He traveled a great deal. And they lived in the most primitive places all over Saskatchewan and all sorts of interesting places that were not really settled, still very much... Um, prairie kind of situations, brutal weather, and she would be left alone sometimes for two weeks at a time. And during that time, they had three babies. And then World War I broke out, and they moved back to the United States. And uh, after they moved back, their youngest of the three, little Catherine, died very suddenly, and it was a huge tragedy. And Marguerite grieved so deeply but they went on to have three more children, and so they raised um, five children that, that lived to adulthood. And while she was moved, when they moved back to the States, they had a neighbor, and his name was M.L. Brower. <coughs> Excuse me, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, and he went by the name Maury. And Maury was a well-known illustrator, and one day she worked up her nerve because she was always, always drawing. She just couldn't help herself. And she said, would you, I, I'm so sorry to bother you, but would you mind looking over some of my work? And he said, well, I'd like you to work on three illustrations. He told her what they should be, work on them for an entire year, and then I'll look at them. And when she showed his, her work to him. He was really impressed. And he got her a job uh, doing some illustration for a Sunday school publication. And that was her first break into the world of illustration. And for years, she illustrated for other people, other people's writing, other people's stories, Sunday school materials. And she got better and better. And um, when her kids were growing up, it was so chaotic that one time she... Uh, her youngest was just terrorizing her. So she got into his playpen, put her easel and drawing table in his playpen, let him roam around the room, and she stayed in the playpen to draw and get her assignments done. She was really diligent, hardworking. Um, you know, the old idea of how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. Well, that was Marguerite D'Angeli. She worked so hard, and you can see the improvement in her drawings. And she talked about how she would study her children when she would bathe them and dress them and watch them play. And she'd be studying their anatomy because she had no formal training of any kind, but she trained herself through studying her own children and using her children, of course, as her models. And after 14 years of illustrating other people's books, she wrote her very first book. It was called Henner's Lydia. And she had met an elderly Amish lady who told her reminiscences about her childhood. And Marguerite began a practice of interviewing, <clears throat> excuse me, and studying people before she wrote about them. She was a 
you know, sometimes you read books and they're so inaccurate and they're so superficial and they're really just people in costumes. There's, there's no difference from the lady up the street to somebody living in France during the Huguenot period. They're all the same. They act the same, talk the same, think the same. But Marguerite T. Angeli, all of her books really are what I would consider historic fiction. But each one she studied she went to libraries, she went to universities, and she lived with the people that she was writing about. Sometimes for a very long period of time, she would find a family that would take her in, and she began writing about all these different racial, regional, and religious minorities. And she just researched all the time. But the thing that I love about her and why I'm calling this Irresistible Innocence is that her books feature happy, cozy families that were warm, that loved their children, that children felt secure and confident with. And she believed that children benefit from reading about happy families. And don't we all? I mean, I can remember as a new reader in first grade crying when the sweet little family books that I would read about in first grade, when those books would end, I would cry because it was just such a edifying picture of what a happy, cozy family looked like. And that was what she based all of her books about. There's no tragedy. There's no rape and pillaging. It's just joyful, delightful families that you want to model your family upon. And isn't that what we should always be looking for in the books we read for ourselves and also for our children? I want to share some of the books that she has written. Um, she died uh, in her 90s and was writing books right until the end. Her husband died uh, lived into his, I think, late 80s. So they had an amazing, right before their actually 60th anniversary is when her husband passed away, but Marguerite didn't stop and she just kept writing even after the loss of her precious husband. If you're interested, <clears throat> excuse me, in her autobiography, it's kind of got a fun title. It's called Butter at the Old Price. Butter at the Old Price, and she calls it that because of the story that went around in her childhood about a woman that wasn't very clean or um, tidy in her ways, and she would bring her butter to sell it to the general store, and she would offer her butter, and the owner of the store would give her not a very good price. And then her neighbor would come in with her wonderful butter that she lived in a very spotless home, took very good care of uh, the way she you know, produced the butter, and she got a different price for it. And so the lady that was kind of slovenly said to the storekeeper, well, why, why don't you pay me what you pay you know, Mrs. Smith? And he's explained, well, her butter you know, is a lot cleaner than your butter. And so she went home and tried to shape up her style of, you know, housekeeping. And one day she was making butter and the cat walked over it. And then her baby without a diaper sat right in the butter. And she said, oh, well, I guess it's going to be butter at the old price again. And so whenever something wouldn't go wrong, would go wrong in Marguerite D'Angeli and her husband's life, they'd say, well, I guess it's butter at the old price. And so it's the story of her life and what a joyful, high energy woman she was and someone that I just aspire to be like. 
There's also a book written about her uh, by William Anderson called Michigan's Marguerite DeAngeli. And on the cover is the is a drawing that she made for Copper-Toed Boots, one of her books that she, uh, probably the third book she wrote. And it's a drawing of her grandparent Loft's beautiful little farmhouse there in Lapeer. And the people of Lapeer were so proud of Marguerite and that she was their very own. And so they call her Lapeer's Marguerite DeAngeli and they actually named the children's library after her. And whenever Marguerite DeAngeli would get an award um, they would. She would always stop and present it to the people of Lapeer, and it would be put in their library there. So she was kind of a favorite daughter, and even though she didn't live there much, they claimed her as their own, and she traced her roots very, very firmly back to them. Do you ever wonder if the modern homeschool movement has lost its moorings? How do we get the results with our families that were common in the early days of the homeschool movement? On February 13th, I will present a live webinar called Returning to Our Roots of Greatness. I will be sharing the secrets of the founders of the homeschool movement and calling us back to our early years of greatness. We will start at 9.30 Central Time and end at 2.30. You will have the ability to replay the webinar for two weeks after the live experience. The afternoon will contain a panel discussion with experienced homeschooling families that will be able to field the questions that you send in. Those who... Our registered will also receive access to a never-before-offered exclusive discount to my full online course, All About Homeschool. Register in the show notes below or on our webpage. I look forward to fellowshipping with you on February 13th. So after Henner's Lydia came out and it was quite a success, then um, Skip Pack School came out after that and it was the true story based on a true story of a schoolmaster that really had a huge impact there in um in 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 uh, sorry in Pennsylvania and the name of the town was Skippack and he was they were Pennsylvania Dutch uh and so the illustrations are gorgeous and the story about how he taught children to read that were struggling and how the children she did all the illustrations and she did all the research so everything is historically accurate and how when the children would do something well he would give them a beautiful piece of calligraphy and then he would design Pennsylvania Dutch borders around the scripture and that would be the children's reward for doing well. So it's a lovely story based on truth and history and a schoolmaster that had a very big impact in the state of Pennsylvania. And then Marguerite Angeli went to Lapeer for her next book and it's called Copper Toed Boots and it's a story of her father and his best friend and they were rather mischievous and did things like put a cow up into the belfry of the church and tied the cow's tail to the bell ringer. And they were just all boy. 
<coughs> excuse me, lived out in the country, of course, in a farm country. And um, the their interaction with each other, with their cho- with other children, but also the people in the community, the animals, um, the storekeepers. So, and how they were always trading. I love that. And so Shad was her dad and Ash was his best friend. And she always liked to use the real names because she felt that that gave the book more, um, more truth. It just made more sense. Probably one of my most favorite books in the whole world, <laughs> and I don't say that lightly, is one of her books about a Quaker family um, and the little girl whose name is Hannah. The name of the book is The, T-H-E-E, Hannah, and she's a nine-year-old Quaker girl in Philadelphia before the Civil War. And all she knows is that she wants to dress like her friends and neighbors with their fancy clothes, with ribbons and lace and little pantaloons that hang down. And her mother and family are proper Quakers. And they're very loving and very positive with her. But she's constantly wanting to be something she's not. She's wanting to be uh, like the world. And her family are really people that are set apart. And she's always getting into trouble. And her sweet grandmother says to her, Thee, Hannah, thou art listening to old Spotty again. And of course, that was the devil. And how her parents just mentored her and discipled her and really encouraged her. And then at the end, of course, she has an encounter with an escaped slave. And you get a little picture into the Quakers' involvement with the Underground Railroad, getting people to safety up in Canada through the Underground Railroad as all the Quakers would take escaped slaves and hide them until they got them across the border. And and she has an exposure to that and realizes, you know what, if I, if I had been wearing my Quaker bonnet and my Quaker clothes, that little girl would not have known to come to me to ask for help. And she realized she was really glad and really proud to be a Quaker. And then the sequel to Henner's Lydia is Yanni Wondernose, and it was a Caldecott honor book for the illustrations. And it's about a little boy, a little Pennsylvania Dutch boy, who is very, very mischievous, to put it lightly. And, um, or actually, I think he's Amish living in, you know, Pennsylvania Dutch uh, territory. (laughs) And, um, he, his grandmother can't believe what a mischief he is. And he's always getting into trouble. And she calls him a wonder nose. And, um, yeah, so these were Amish people in Lancaster County, where a lot of um, Amish people live there in Pennsylvania. And, um, he is so mischievous. As I said, he's always getting into trouble. But one day, his curiosity really saves the day. And he goes from always being in trouble to being really praised for being a wonder nose as he saves um, his family's barn and home because he's so curious. Then she wrote a book called Jared's Island. And um, I have collected all of these books in uh, first editions. And so they're so precious to me. This is a story of a little boy. And I can't remember all of it, but 
I believe, something about like pirates and um, Indians and all sorts of, you know, adventure and mystery. And again, her books are heavily researched. So your children learn a great deal about history, but also about different cultures, different people and times. And it's history being learned so painlessly that your children will just always beg for one more chapter. Probably the first book of hers that I discovered maybe 35 years ago and fell in love with was would be a book that actually won the Newbery Award, which is the Nobel Prize of children's literature. And it's called The Door in the Wall. And it's about a little boy named Robin. He is, uh, it's in the Middle Ages, and he's the son of a knight and a lady. And his parents have gone off to help fight the Scottish Wars with the King and Queen of England. And he is struck with paralysis. And the Great Plague sweeps through London and no one can get in or out of the city. And a monk from one of the monasteries there, Brother Luke, hears that Robin is stranded in the castle and he's ill. And Brother Luke puts him on his little Jenny horse and he takes him to his monastery, which they also called a convent back then, even though men lived in it. And he takes care of Robin and he massages him and gives him cold baths and gives him wonderful food and teaches him how to play and make a harp and how to make a, a beautiful wooden cross, uh, which is dovetailed joints and all of his experiences. And he's so discouraged because he was always promised that he was going to be a page and would be in training to be a knight. And felt so discouraged because his legs would not work. But there came a time where he became so strong from the physical exercise that Brother Luke gave him that they needed to send him out as a spy. And because he was on crutches, they thought that the Scottish would never um, question him, would never suspect him as being a spy. And so he escaped, went out into the countryside and went to one of the um, gentlemen from the castle's mother and got help for the castle, which was being besieged and starved out. And Robin saved the kingdom. And soon after that, the king and queen of England and his parents came to the castle where he had been staying as a page and they all honored him and he was knighted and he was fulfilling really his destiny. And Brother Luke, the, where, where the title of the book comes from, first of all, the, the, the title page, this is how books used to be written in the 50s and 40s. The title page has a beautiful medieval gate and it says, I know thy works. Behold, I've set before thee an open door and no man shall shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast not denied my name. Revelation 3. And then Brother Luke had said to him when he was bemoaning the fact that he could never sit a horse and never be a knight, he said, Robin, in every door, in every wall, if you look far enough, there's always a door. Might God have a door in your wall? And after he saved the kingdom, the Lord spoke to him through Brother Luke and said, You have found the door in your wall. It's a magnificent book. And then one of the 
most groundbreaking books that Marguerite D'Angeli wrote, um, she asked her editor at Doubleday, who she was very, very close with, if she could write a book about racial relations and prejudice. And no one had ever written a children's piece of fiction about that subject. But Marguerite D'Angeli did it. And she went to Germantown and, and spent time with some African-American families and children. And she, the illustrations are so sweet. And the story is so dear about a little girl named Bright April. And um, it's her birthday. And she lives in Germantown in Philadelphia. And she goes on a little camping trip with the um, brownies. She's a brownie in the Girl Scout um, world. And how for the first time in her happy little life, she experiences prejudice and how the Lord works in that situation and how she and the little girl actually become friends. And it's just the sweetest book and so ahead of its time, but um, a beautiful rendering of a very difficult subject to handle for children as well as for adults. And then one of her masterpieces was her book of nursery and mother goose rhymes. And it also won a Caldecott Honor Award for the illustrations. And she spent three years working on this book. And for Door in the Wall, she went all over England and Scotland. And she used many of the um, drawings that she did for Door in the Wall. She also used many of those sketches she did in Britain in her Mother Goose Rhymes book. It's a classic. Every child should be raised with this book as well. So she wrote, I believe she illustrated, I think, 35 books. And um, she wrote many books in addition to the ones I'm sharing with you. But these are the ones that kind of stand out in my mind and they're not easy to find uh, a lot of libraries tragically are discarding her books but the Mennonite publishing house has republished I think three or four of her books which is so wonderful and I wish they would do more and I just cannot recommend the innocence the sweetness the joy that comes from these books that will brighten your family's days and lives. And without you having to give them little sermonettes, your children will fall in love with the world of Marguerite Angeli. So thank you for listening to this podcast. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help too. Visit my website, carolsjoyside.com. Dot com to subscribe to our weekly email and receive exclusive discounts in my online store where seminars and interviews are available. Be sure to tune in next week for my next episode where I help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Blessings.